Well, if you have a Bible, um, you might like to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Um, For those of you who are visiting today, (laughs) we're in Ecclesiastes, oh bliss, oh rapture. I have had moments when I've wondered why on earth we did this, but actually it's really good. Uh, It's really challenging, but it's really good. And, um, you know, there are times when we can do the fluffy stuff in church, and it's all great. And, And in a sense, last week was a little bit like that. It was one of those sermons that's a bit of a nice one as a preacher. This one's a little bit harder. Um, I had somebody come to me between services who was reading the text and said, what? You're going to speak on that? And I said, yeah, you just got to hang in there. So I uh, hope it's going to be helpful. But you do have to work a little bit harder today. It's not fluffy stuff. Um, it's deep truth and it's quite challenging stuff. And somebody between services of an older generation said to me, I think you might be speaking to some of us more than others, Ian. Well, that might or might not be true, and that's part of the point. So um, let's trust that God will meet us this morning. You may have heard this quote before. You may even know the story. And it turns out that this is a God thing for me, right? When I sat down to write this, I did not know that in the first congregation this morning there would be a gentleman who knows this story personally and has actually been to the place I'm going to talk about and met the people I'm going to talk about and knows some of the people in the story. And we had a long conversation between services. Now, it might not be a God thing to you, but it's a massively God thing to me. So if you haven't been encouraged this morning, you can rest assured over lunch that the minister was. You may know this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot spoke those words. On the 2nd of January 1956 was the day that Jim Elliot had been waiting for and planning for for the past three years. He was 28 years old. On the 2nd of January, he took a short flight over the Ecuador jungle to set up a camp for him and some missionaries. Jim and his fellow missionaries had spent the past three years in Ecuador and they now thought the time was right to try and reach the Orca people with the gospel. The Orca people were an extremely hostile people to anyone who approached them or set foot in their territory. Uh, the oil company that had been based there had shut down after workers had been killed by them. The neighbouring tribes had also lost people at the hands of the Orca. So on the 2nd of January 1956, Jim Elliot and his fellow missionaries were dropped off one by one on the beach along the river. Apparently that beach, I was told today, is almost no longer there now because rivers change their course a little bit, don't they? And then they waited for the Orca people. After six days, two women appeared across the river. As the missionaries waded in to meet them, Orca warriors appeared behind them, spears in hand. Choosing not to use their guns, the missionaries were easy targets for the Orca warriors. And five missionary men were killed that day by the spears of Orca warriors. Their bodies were recovered later from the river by their fellow missionaries. And this gentleman who was here this morning told me he was privileged to be taken to the place where those men were buried. Within two years of their deaths, Jim Elliott's wife Elizabeth, his daughter Valerie, and the sister of Nate Saint, who was the pilot, Rachel, and Rachel was the the lady that this man here this morning knew and had met and who took him to visit the Orca. 
had moved into the Orca village within two years. Many Orca have come to faith and they are now friendly people. Missionaries still live among them today, that's why he was able to go visit them. And one of those living among them today is the son of Nate Saint, who was the pilot who flew them in and was killed that day. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, wrote Jim Elliot. I wonder what you think about that. Maybe you could take some time out this week to have a chat with someone and tell them what you think about that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I have no idea whether Jim Elliot had Ecclesiastes in mind when he wrote his now famous words in a diary. Actually, I doubt very much that he did. But I do think his words rung true with what the teacher wants us to hear in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So far, the teacher has shown us that life in this world is in truth beyond our control. And in the light of this, we have two options. One is we can live in the illusion that we can escape life's pain and difficulties with all sorts of activities and distractions. Or we can live in the truth, the reality, and choose the path of wisdom. M. Scott Peck, a few years ago, wrote a best-selling popular psychology book called The Road Less Travelled. You may have read it. The book starts with these three words. Life is difficult. Well, you didn't need a psychologist to tell you that, did you? Because you already know that. The teacher would agree. Peck says there are two ways that you can respond to this truth and two ways that people do respond to this truth. One is to pretend that it isn't true and to live as if it isn't true. So you live your whole life in an illusion. The other is to face the truth and live in the reality that life is in fact difficult. Now at the beginning of his book, Peck asks this question. Which of those choices leads to a better life? His answer in a popular psychology book is to live in the truth of how life really is leads to a better life. In this respect, he follows the teacher. The teacher says we can choose the path of escapism. We can try and numb the pain, avoid our problems, party as hard as we can, live in the land of make-believe, drink ourselves away, or live in the past. The teacher says we can, though, live wisely. We can choose to live wisely in God's world, even in the midst of all our brokenness. But here's the rub. The teacher is going to tell us that part of being wise is learning to live with the limitations of wisdom itself. There is, in this world, something called mystery. Now, we don't do well with mystery, do we? We don't like mystery. Here's the challenge, friends. If you've taken any notice of what you've been singing in worship, the first thing is this. You've already sung everything I'm going to say. And the second thing is, is you've sung about mystery. And you've sung that you want God to lead you into mystery. Do you realize you've done that? 
Take my feet where the water's really deep. Take me into the mystery. We don't like mystery. But there is in this world something called mystery. The teacher wants to say to us that we can learn to love the limitations that life brings and we can learn to live with mystery. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. Are you ready? A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. The teacher tells us that life is limited by death. Well, you already know that, don't you? We know that the one thing we can be sure about in life is that one day we will die. Most of us, I think, choose the escapist response to that and choose not to think about it and to live actually mostly as if it's not true. I've had a number of people say to me, oh, I don't do funerals. That is the escapist route. Every funeral I take, I will say these words. Today is a difficult day. It's a difficult day because we've lost someone we loved and that we still love. It's a difficult day because we are probably reminded of others we've loved and lost. It's a difficult day because today we're having to face the reality of death and the truth is most of us would rather avoid it if we could. The teacher has something slightly bizarre to say, also it appears. He says that the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Did you notice that? Verse 1. Good name is better than perfume and the day of death is better than the day of birth. That sounds like nonsense, doesn't it? How can that possibly be true? Maybe Jim Elliot has something to teach us here, though. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. These words of Jim Elliot are words of invitation, an extraordinarily powerful invitation to a way of life. I'm not even sure when Jim Elliot wrote those words that he was thinking about death, least of all his own death. But I'm wondering if in the light of the teacher's words here in Ecclesiastes, his words take on an even more beautiful meaning. For in the same way that Jim Elliot's words are an invitation to a way of life, so are the words of the teacher. My best guess, maternity ward of a hospital is usually one of the happiest wards in a hospital. Would I be right? I think so. You're not particularly enthusiastic about responding, but I think that's true. Uh, Most often, most often, 
The birth of a baby brings great joy, doesn't it? Not always, but most often. The birth of a baby brings great joy mostly because of all that might be. Babies are born packed full of potential. How then can the day of death be better than the day of birth? Well, birth is all about potential. For those who believe, death is all about fulfillment. One bright hour, he will come for me. One bright hour, he will set this captive free. One bright hour, he will wipe away the tears from eyes that now can see. One bright hour. He'll chase away the fleeting dark from broken earth and broken heart, the holy line where joy and sorrow meet. And you will sing redemption songs, making new what we made wrong on the day the story is complete. One bright hour. And I will sing hallelujah. Death is better than birth. Because death brings with it the fulfillment that birth never can. Friends, that is wonderfully true. That is absolutely wonderfully true. And I, like you, am trusting that Jim and others whom we've loved and lost has heard the words, good and faithful servant, and Jim has just gone, oh my goodness. And I'm hoping that I get the word hallelujah out. And I've told you I'm going to do this. I really hope heaven's like this. It's all speculation, but I like the idea. That I'm just going to be able to jump off backwards and go, oh, you're kidding me. I'm just going to float or fly, whatever the word will be. We sang at Jim's bedside on Monday night, whatever time it was. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in his fullness over me. And one day, one bright hour, I'm going to know what that means. I've got a few ideas, but I think I might be miles off. And one day I'm going to go, you're kidding me. And God's going to go, nope. And he might, he might say... If only you'd opened your eyes and you'd have seen a bit more of it before you got here. But it won't matter then, will it? One bright hour. Friends, I would encourage you to hold on with all your heart to that truth. But I wonder if the teacher has something else to say here. Maybe even more than this wonderful truth. It may be that the teacher is saying... That the invitation of death is for it to be your teacher. And that death is, in truth, a better teacher than birth. When when you were born, um, there was really nothing anybody could say about you. Perhaps from perhaps maybe, oh, look at all that hair. Or, oh, he's got his dad's eyes. Apart from that, that's about it, isn't it? Really? What else do you say? 
But what will people say about you at your death? Do you know one of the lovely things, and I spoke to Linda about this, so I feel I can say this today. One of the lovely things about yesterday was that um, the children, who some of them are here today, got up and spoke about mum and dad. And I'm sitting there thinking, and Megan's over there now, so take note. I'm hoping that one day at my 50th, my daughter and my son get up and say lovely things about their dad. That's not the point. The point is this. I find myself at funerals often sitting there thinking, I really hope you told them what you're saying now while they were still alive. And you did that yesterday. So well done. We should do that. What do you want people to say at your death? Some people make a joke of it, don't they? Spike Milligan, famous quote, I told you I was ill. (laughs) What, What do you want people to write about you? Death is, in fact, our great enemy in life, isn't it? But we don't get beyond it. We can't see beyond it. We don't know beyond it. Death isn't better than life. That's not what the teacher's saying. That's not the point he's trying to make out. But death is a better teacher than birth. I'm sure at some point you've been asked in some group thing, which I've done, you know, to write your own epitaph. Have you ever been asked to do that? I have, loads of times. Or maybe someone's trying to tell me something. What would you want to write? What would you want people to write about you? Jim Elliott's has become, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he lived that. He absolutely lived that. And talking to this guy who was here this morning, he could tell me personally, because he's met some of the people, yeah, he lived that. Jim Elliot had grasped the truth that he would die and that he would give what he would not be able to keep to gain what he would not be able to lose. Jim Elliot knew he was taking a risk that day when he waded into a river, but my best guess was that he did not want to die. Not at 28 years old. That was not part of his plan. But perhaps he'd grasped the truth of the teacher, that he would one day die, so he would, in fact, live for Christ. Perhaps we could say he lived his life backwards. Do you remember I was going to call this series Living Life Backwards? Because that's what I think Ecclesiastes encouraged us to do. In the light of your certain death, how are you going to live? And with GMLA, you may be able to say, I'll give what I cannot keep to gain that which I cannot lose. That's exactly what the teacher is inviting you to do, to live life backwards. And so is the day of your death. Remember verse 2, my translation? Everyone will die, and wise people think about that. I think the teacher would agree. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The teacher says that people who live this way are those who are, in fact, fully and truly alive. And it must be at least something of what Jesus meant when he said that he had come, that we might have life in all its fullness. I'm still trying to figure out what he means, but it must be something to do with this, mustn't it? That if we can live in the light of our, our certain death, we can live well and we can enjoy life fully. When we recognize that life is a gift and we allow death to be our teacher, we are free to enjoy life as a gift. We are free to enjoy all that God has graciously given us as gift because actually the truth is it's all on loan anyway. Death may be our greatest enemy, but death does not win. Love wins.
And really, truly, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Death can be a great teacher, if only we will listen. Now, I didn't read the rest of the text of chapter 7. You might want to go and read read it a bit later. But in verse 7, the teacher says, um, Let your death teach you about money. Don't let money corrupt your heart. Instead, let your certain death protect your heart. I think that's a lovely phrase. All those things you really don't have to be bothered about. Amass, keep, polish, ensure, all that stuff. In verse 8, the teacher says, anything worthwhile in life takes time to develop and grow. So be the kind of person who gives things the time they need. We're not good at that today, are we? We we want it now. Amazon, click and collect, bang, there it is, ten minutes later. In verse 9 he says, you don't want people at your funeral remembering your anger. The truth is that life is full of frustration, but don't be remembered as someone who's always losing their rag. In verse 10 the teacher says, don't be the sort of person who's always looking back on the good old days. You You need to live now. And if you're always looking back... You will miss God in the present. That's what he's saying. Don't miss God in the present. Don't always be looking back. You know you're going to die. Live now. Live well. The teacher is saying that wisdom has its benefits in all those kind of ways. And if you live wisely, you can live well within the limitations that life brings. But then the teacher says that if we are to face reality, we need to realize that wisdom itself has its limitations. And we know that. You've already sung that. Verse 13 of chapter 7 says this. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he makes crooked? Who can straighten what he made crooked? His powerful but simple point is this. Even wisdom doesn't have all the answers. Wisdom cannot truly explain God or the things that happen in this world. Wisdom cannot explain why good things happen to bad people or bad things happen to good people. And the truth is, in life, there is simply much we don't know and will never know. There is, the teacher says, this thing called mystery. But but the teacher says we don't need to try to escape the world the way it is. Let death be your teacher so you really can give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Live wisely, but recognize there is a thing called mystery. But above all, friends, remember that it is God who rules the universe. And according to chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, it is he who has set eternity in your heart and mind. And at one bright hour, he will bring all things, including you and me, to fulfillment. So, friends, the teacher would say, hold on to him whose death brings you life and whose wisdom no one can fathom and who holds you in the palm of his hand. Amen.